Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You are invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. Today's scripture is John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Could you use some good news? If you're like most people, if you're like I am, good news is in short supply and you could use some. Well, I've got good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ is still the reigning king of all kings, and he's the Lord of all lords. He's the sovereign head over all that is that includes your life and mine. And the good news is that he's available to meet you at the point of need, any need that you might have. That's good news, my friends. My name is Frank Beard, and I'm the resident bishop of the Illinois Great Rivers Conference. It's a delight for me to be able to come and share with you over the next few weeks concerning the person and work of the Holy Spirit. I'll have some more that I will say on that in just a moment. But would you bow your heads for a word of prayer with me? Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word together. I pray that you would help us to do as the psalmist has admonished us, to take your word and to hide it in our heart that we might not sin against you. Help it to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path to give us guidance in these days of darkness. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to talk today about the Holy Spirit, the person and work of the Holy Spirit. There are certain signs and symbols in the church uh, regarding the Holy Spirit. Jesus, nearing the end of his ministry uh, with his disciples, he started preparing them for his departure. His promise was that he would not leave them alone, but would ask the Father to send them a comforter, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, I believe, is the missing dynamic in most of our churches and in the lives of most Christians. Now, I do want to affirm that every believer, every believer has the Holy Spirit with them. John 14, 15 through 17 reminds us of that, and we'll look at that in just a moment. I can also tell you that not every believer and every church is filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, let me give you this explanation. It was given to me by a veteran pastor years ago, and it kind of stuck in my heart and in my mind. The explanation that I got from this professor pastor was this. He said, Frank, there's a big difference in having your lunch with you and having your lunch in you. Think about that for a moment. There is a big difference between having your lunch with you and having your lunch in you. Jesus had promised those disciples, and he promises us, that he would be with us always, that he would never leave us nor forsake us. 
He promised that by going away, he would send another, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was given many um, directives and what to do in the life of the believer, and we'll cover some of those in this study. But there's a big difference between having the Holy Spirit with us and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so that's what I want to talk about over the next few weeks, is the person and work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer and in the life of the church. Why do you think that this is such an important subject for us to deal with? Well, I can tell you for me, it's because I noticed the life of John Wesley, one of the founders of Methodism. John Wesley prior to Aldersgate and John Wesley after Aldersgate, and Aldersgate was what we call John Wesley's heartwarming experience. John Wesley prior to Aldersgate and John Wesley after Aldersgate was markedly different. Now, scholars have debated for years and they continue to debate what happened at Aldersgate to John Wesley. Some people say, well, it was John Wesley's conversion point. It was a point where Christ became real in his life. I, I don't buy that. John Wesley grew up in a Christian home. Now, I know that growing up in a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian. But at some point earlier, Wesley had professed faith in Jesus Christ. So just because you grew up in a Christian home doesn't, doesn't make you a Christian. I understand that. But John Wesley had made a conversion, had had a conversion experience prior to Aldersgate. But after Aldersgate, his ministry was infused with a new dynamic, and that dynamic was the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. So I don't want to get into a long debate or discussion with anyone. I'm not going to fight or pick, pick a fight with anybody over what happened to Wesley. Here's what I know. Whatever happened, we need it to happen again. Whatever happened to Wesley that, that caused the Methodist folks to uh, be birthed, that caused a rise in the, in the church and caused the church to be effective, caused Wesley to be effective in his mission and ministry, whatever happened, we need it to happen again. Now, I believe God is willing to use today's worldwide upheavals and disruptions to wake up the church. I don't in any way believe that God is causing all the stuff that's going on in our world today, but I know that God will use everything to strengthen us and to help us to be effective in our mission and in our ministry. So I look at things and I see that we are standing on the edge of a great worldwide revival. And most Christians and churches, I believe, can't even see it. We're so absorbed sometimes in our own briar patch that we can't see the big picture. And I believe we're standing on the edge of a great worldwide revival, awakening, reawakening, whatever you want to call it. And it's up to us churches, it's up to us Christians to be able to discern the times and to know what's going on. Well, let's look very quickly at a couple passages of scripture. The first one I would invite you to look up is John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. John chapter 14 verses 15 through 17, reads along this line. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper who will be with you forever. That helper is the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it doesn't see or know him. You know him 
because he lives with you and will be in you. He lives with you and will be in you. Luke 24, 49. Luke 24, 49. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay into the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. John chapter 14, verses 25 through 26. I have told you this while I'm still with you. However, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything. He will remind you of everything that I have ever told you. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And while they were gathered together, he, that is Jesus, commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift the Father promised, which you have heard me discuss. And finally, uh, the verse that we want to spend some more time with today is Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, Jesus gave us a promise, and that promise began with an invitation. The invitation, Jesus said, is that he would ask the Father to send us a helper. First of all, the Holy Spirit is invited by Jesus to, to be among the, the church, to be among his body that he was forming. Jesus invited the Holy Spirit to come. And then he encourages us to invite the Holy Spirit to come. So the Holy Spirit is a promise that comes through invitation. Jesus said he would ask the Father to send us a helper, and the Holy Spirit comes by invitation, and that's both personal and corporate. We can invite the Holy Spirit personally, and we can invite the Holy Spirit corporately as a church group, as a church body. Secondly, the Holy Spirit not only comes by invitation, but the Holy Spirit comes through expectation, expectation. Jesus instructed his disciples to go to Jerusalem and to wait for the promise. And they waited in expectation. I often wonder if things don't happen in a lot of our churches because we don't expect anything to happen that isn't printed in the bulletin. I'll leave that alone and not pick a fight. The third thing we notice is that the Holy Spirit comes through participation and preparation. Participation and preparation. Rooted and grounded, the participation and preparation are rooted and grounded in prayer. The early disciples gathered together in Jerusalem. Jesus told them to go and to wait. I love the word tarry. It's in the King James. Uh, to tarry. To tarry means to wait with expectation. And they, they waited. They tarried. And as they got together, they prayed. Jesus prayed. And they were praying. And the prayer was that the Holy Spirit would come. That that which Jesus had requested of the Father, Jesus uh, the Comforter, the Helper, the Holy Spirit would come. Acts 1.8 shows us the result. 
It says, when they were all together in one place. When they were all together in one place. Let me give you a quick Beardian uh, translation on what that means. It says, when they had worked on their issues and got some things settled. Listen, the Holy Spirit comes by invitation, but the Holy Spirit decides when conditions are right. They had some issues that they had to work on, and you know they did in that early church. You know, half of the people were mad at each other. They were upset. Uh, All of them, uh, the only one you can make a case for maybe is John, but all of them abandoned Jesus in the garden, and they were mad at Judas because Judas had betrayed. Not only had he betrayed him, uh, betrayed Jesus, but Judas went out and hung himself. They were mad at him because he was their friend, and, and here he was. He took his own life. He had betrayed the Savior. They had, as my wife, the mental health therapist, would say, they had issues. And when they, de- when they came together in prayer, they began to deal with those issues. I'll touch on that in just a moment. But they began to deal with those issues when they were all together in one place. Well, listen, here's something else that happens when, the, when we request and require and ask for the Holy Spirit uh, for mission and ministry. Unification begins to take place. It says in Acts 1-8, when they were all together, when they were all together, well, they were united in purpose and they were positioned for ministry. They got some of their issues dealt with and they had become united around a common purpose and they were positioned for ministry. They had already been told, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the other parts of the world. There was a unification that took place. Maybe one of the reasons we don't see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our individual lives as well as in our corporate church is because we lack unity. We lack unity. Jesus in John chapter 17 prayed for the unity of the believers, and that's all believers around the world that we would not be in competition with one another, but that we would complement one another and that we would display unity. Well, when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit brings celebration, brings celebration. The wind blew, as you know, in Acts chapter 2. The wind blew, shook the house where they were. The tongues of fire came and distributed on each one of them. The wind and the fire are both symbols of the Holy Spirit. And one day I was uh, looking at that passage of Scripture, and I had a a, a quick impulse uh, regarding that, a quick thought uh, regarding the wind and the fire, which are both uh, symbols of the presence of God and also symbols of cleansing, of cleansing. And this, this thought came to my mind that the Holy Spirit, whenever the Holy Spirit shows up, always brings a shock vac and a broom. The Holy Spirit always shows up with a shop vac and a broom. The end result is that we are rejoicing. Why are we rejoicing? Because the Holy Spirit's job is to convince us of, to convict us of sin and to convince us of righteousness. In other words, if there are things in our lives that need to be settled and put back in order, the Holy Spirit's job is to point those out and give us a chance to do that. Well, finally, uh, manifestation and application are a part of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Manifestation and application. 
God pushed them out into the streets, literally from in the building where they were in the upper room, 120 strong. When the Holy Spirit came, they spilled literally out into the streets. And they were proclaiming through supernatural means the wonderful works of God in different languages from around the world, representing the different people groups from around the world. And when they spilled out into the Holy, when they spilled out into the street full of the Holy Spirit, there were some folks that made fun of them. They said, these people are just drunk. These people are drunk. And uh, Peter got that corrected uh, by addressing them. But here's the point. The Holy Spirit led them, initiated, launched them into their mission. The mission of the church is not to keep things in the building same, lame, and tame. The mission is to get out where the people are and to share the good news, to tell the wonderful works of God. The Holy Spirit then is not given for show, but the Holy Spirit is given for go. Did you like that? The Holy Spirit is not given for individual or corporate show, but the Holy Spirit is given that we might accomplish the mission and ministry that God has called the church to be about. That deals with manifestation and application. Well, one more, and that'll give us seven. Multiplication. Multiplication. How do you know that you know that you know that the Holy Spirit has been present, that someone is filled with the Holy Spirit, that a church is spirit-filled, and the work of Christ is being accomplished. Well, you can, you can know that by one simple thing, spiritual fruit. Spiritual fruit is the proof and the result of the Holy Spirit's presence. When we produce spiritual fruit, multiplication automatically happens, both corporately and personally. We can't keep Christ to ourselves. We are compelled to share the good news with others, corporately and personally. How do you know if an individual or a church is full of the Spirit of God? I'll give you the acid test. The acid test, let me just say right off the bat, and I know this will anger some of my uh, charismatic brothers and sisters, and I'm not trying to pick a fight. I just want we as United Methodists, I want all Christians, but especially United Methodists to understand. The evidence of a spirit-filled life is not speaking in tongues. I have nothing against tongues, and we'll talk about that uh, deeper at some other point. But corporately and professionally, if you want to know if a church or an individual is full of the Spirit of God, the acid test is found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Galatians 5, 22, 23 says it this way, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Listen, if you're dealing with an individual and you notice in their lives an absence of those fruit, they're probably not filled with the Holy Spirit. If you go into a church and there's everything except for uh, peace, joy, love, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, I suggest that you um, leave by the side door. The, the presence of the Holy Spirit 
when the Holy Spirit comes, both corporately and individually, the Holy Spirit will, will produce the fruit in our lives that is keep it in keeping with the character and the nature of Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit has been given to you, has been given to me, that we might look more and more like Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comes to represent Jesus Christ, to take the things of Christ, to make them known to us, and then to help us to conform to the image and to the likeness of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is given to help the church do its mission, to accomplish its ministry in a world full of need. Well, this is my first um, lesson on the Holy Spirit today, and I'm going to ask that you would bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for today's lesson, and I pray that you would help us to take the tools that we have gained to put them in our spiritual toolboxes and that we might use them to be more and more like you. Help our churches to reflect Jesus Christ. And Lord, help me to reflect you, knowing that I just might be the only Jesus some folks will ever see. Thank you, bless you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.